Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to episode two of season two of the Movement Docs Podcast. And today we have a very, very special guest who's near and dear to my heart <laughs> and other potentially other parts of my body because we were we like did a lot of like lab stuff together in PT school and so like lots of touching and you know like joint mobs and all that stuff. So very, very close physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. Um, Cal Tracy. Cal is a beautiful redheaded man who's a licensed physical therapist practicing with Excel Physical Therapy in the greater Philadelphia area. He graduated from Shenandoah University's DPT program in 2017. Uh, shout out to Dr. Turner and Dr. Fergus and Aaron Hartstein and all the other professors that uh, we both experienced at that school. <laughs> Go Hornets, even though I've only been to one game. Uh, he is certified in the SFMA, which is the Selective Functional Movement Assessment, and is currently enrolled in an orthopedic residency program through Evidence in Motion, AKA EIM, because everyone loves acronyms. He was born and raised in Northern Michigan, uh, Petoskey, and currently lives in Downingtown, PA, with his wife, Molly, and also where Victory Brewing is located. Uh, <clears throat> I think one of the first moments that Cal and I shared together um, well, this was, this was a little bit later on in our relationship, uh, but we were studying together in a, just a random room and I was laying underneath the table as I often did, uh, <laughs> during PT school. And all of a sudden two Xanarkand from the final fantasy 10 soundtrack comes on. And, um, I think I kind of like hit my head on the table and like hit some chairs and stuff. And it was just like, we like, like locked eyes with him and was like, is that from Final Fantasy X soundtrack? And um, that was kind of like our stepbrothers moment. So Cal. immediately went into karate in the garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And I put my goniometer on his drum set. <laughs> he was not. He was not happy about that. But it was. <laughs> you know. So Cal, welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, guys. Thank you for having me. This is. This is. You know. I'm honored to be here. I don't know exactly what I'm going to impart or, you know, it's more, I'm just happy to see you guys and chat with you guys and experience this. So, you know, if, if you're ready to just have fun, keep listening. Otherwise, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's any wisdom coming out after this. I think what Cal's trying to say is he's a long time listener and first time call it. Long time, first time. Long time, first time. <laughs> Well, we're happy to have I, you, Cal. I don't know how you read my mind. I was going to say that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, Cal, I don't know. We, we've shared many things together over the years. Um, beers, burgers. Um, trying to think of other things that start with B. Uh, bacon. Bacon. That's bourbon, true. Um, Bratwurst. Andrea Bocelli. Uh, that's right. Didn't didn't he do the Step Brothers song at the end? Uh, yeah, I Don't guess that's right. right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
<clears throat> so many memories. Lots of lots of Hearthstone, lots of Final Fantasy. Uh, some studying. Some PT. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a couple road trips. That's true. Yeah. Lots of uh, Neil Gaiman, or sorry, Neil Gaiman. I always want to call it Gaiman, but it's 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 pronounced Gaiman. Uh, Neil Gaiman, like audiobooks too. That's yeah. Um, a yearly uh, joint costume contest. It's true thing. that no one understood for yeah. three three years running. Obscure <laughs> costumes that maybe one person out of a hundred got. I think first year we were Team Zisu. Remember we were Team Team Zisu. Um, and then second year, it was, it was like a very obscure reference within an obscure reference, because I don't know if anyone is familiar with the show Community. Well, you uh, better be, because that's one of Cal's, probably Cal's favorite show of all time. Um, and in the show, Donald Glover, aka Childish Gambino, uh, aka Troy, aka Little Dicky, aka No, I was gonna <laughs> leftward sloping goniometer. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, Childish Gambino's character, and then I forget who plays. Um, Abed is Danny Pudi. But they play the constable, or no, sorry, the inspe- Inspector Spacetime and Constable Reggie, which is like a riff on Doctor Who. And so it's like one of the most obscure of the obscure like things that you could ever do. And Cal and I dress up as the Inspector and Constable Reggie. This is a good photo. <laughs> and then third year, we absolutely wrecked the first year uh, party <laughs> because he dressed up as Cloud from Final Fantasy VII and made a seven-foot-long buster sword out of cardboard and duct tape. And I, I went as Barrett from, uh, from Final Fantasy VII. So I just had like a foam roller tube on my hand. It was That was good. As you do. Oh. <laughs> I know you've learned most things that you need to know about me. Yeah, I think probably like 90% of our listeners are probably just like turned off at that point. Um, I, I can only imagine how weird people think that I am when they listen to this show. But it's you, man. So. Yeah, it is you. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to have access to your brain in all of its functions for all things, whether they are PT, moving forward in life, knowledge, pop culture references, uh, weightlifting. Really, it's a good. You're a good number to have in the phone book. Mm-hmm. I wish the phone books were still a thing, so you could rip them. Do you guys remember in like middle school when um, you like had like a school directory, <laughs> and you could like call up your crush? Yes, I never took advantage. I mean, I was just saying that because I mean, I was trying to play off being cool in middle school, but, um, but like, I mean, like, it's just we don't have phone directories anymore. Everyone's always just like, Google it or, like, think about this. How many how many numbers do you still know off the top of your head? That work? Yes. Well, I guess any of them. I can remember my dad's old cell phone number that he he didn't he hasn't had since like two thousand two. Yeah, like I've got my I've got my phone my house phone that does is no longer a phone number. I can tell you one of my good friends from high school, his number's still in my head, that house number. I know my wife's, I know my family's cell phones. It's like a it's like a dying art. That is a fun question to ask. That's like a good party starter. Like how many numbers do you know off the top of your head? 
Because, like, because my contacts have, like, never fully synced with my iMessaging on my computer, like, I recognize that Mike's number starts with, like, 607 mm. and Cal starts with 231. Mm. And I think David is a uh, – is he 584 or 684? Uh, I don't know. But I can, like – because it's not saved as the contact, it's just saved as – like, it's just the numbers. And because of all the instant messaging we did during all the classes we took in grad school – I like recognize numbers, but I wouldn't be able to dial them off the top of my head. Just interesting little sidetrack. Yeah. About Mike, like... Mike is a long time first time. This is where you jump in and put us and pull us back on the course. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we've gotten some good background information in history uh, so far, um, <laughs> which is good, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, we know that we, uh, we, we can all graduate from SU's program, which is good. So, um, I love the rhyming and the cheesiness of this, so we're going to ask this question too. So, so why SU? You know, like what does SU mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's that's good. Uh, for I mean, it's it's again with the cheese. It's uh, it just it was that it was that place that felt like home, and I know that that's you know that is one of the things, but I think that's you shouldn't overlook that feeling. That's an important thing, um, and that that was further reinforced every single year I was there. Uh, you know, it's, SU was one of the first places that gave me a shot at an interview. Um, you know, uh, the, the little bit of background that we didn't go over was that uh, after graduating undergrad, there was a couple of years in between there and getting into PT school. Um, and, and so that was, you know, one of those, SU was the first place I had an interview and, and I got a good feeling from it. Um, didn't get in that first time around. Uh, and then, uh, you know, kind of really upped the resume a little bit more. And uh, every place I went was, you know, it was it would have been fine. But the, at the end of the day, I kept coming back to that feeling of, you know, you, the the faculty really took the time to seem like they care. Uh, and they seemed invested in the students uh, and in the potential students, even you know, even if it wasn't to help you get into SU, they you know they had little tips and things that you know, well, hey, if it didn't work out here, or if you were looking for other places, here's some things that you can do to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that's important, you know, um, for anybody that's looking for a PT school or anything like that, is trying to find that kind of dynamic where things feel like home, like you said. You know, uh, we're you're in classes for so long, and you're going through so many different things and so many different like challenges, uh, just learning about yourself and all these things. And so, having a place where you actually feel comfortable is uh, is everything. Yeah. So that's solid. All right, so Cal, since <clears throat> since we both graduated together, I'm curious, like, how do you feel now about practicing and treating patients? compared to when you first came out of school? You know, it, the basics are still the same. Um, that, I think, I think really we came out with a good understanding of, of what it meant to be someone who is thorough and someone who is a critical thinker. Um, and, and, you know, to, to use those basics to then move forward. Um, I think how I've changed is that the the pattern recognition is a little quicker. Um, you know, those first, uh, you know, even in the first few times that you were out on on a clinical rotation or you know that first couple of months where you were practicing, like you're you wanted to check off every box of of the pattern. Like you know, this is 
uh, this is a cervical spondylosis with a radiculopathy. Like, what? What's what's the four test cluster? Like, let me get let me check all those boxes <laughs> off. And like, well, actually, they have like a full range of motion or like an equal range of motion right versus left rotation. That's not like, man, does that mean it's something different? Like, no. It doesn't like like <laughs> this happens. Um, so that you know, those little things don't throw you as much. Um, and then the other thing that I I don't know if it's changed, but something that I've started to appreciate more, at least again, this is this is a little anecdotal. This is a little pain science education stuff. Is that we are really treating the nervous system most of the time. Um, you know, there, there are physiologic changes that we can make, like with the tendinopathy. Yeah, sure. Let's, you know, let's, let's make some real physiologic change there, um, through a lot of the exercise that we're doing. But outside of a lot of that stuff, I find the most results happen when you, when you think that, you know, you're treating the nervous system and not, and not, you know, not just, you know, the, the capsule mobility in a shoulder or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's 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 kind of interesting because when you look at it through that lens, it's like all these different techniques that you might be able to use are all just different ways to kind of modulate pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? No, that's exactly that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool. <laughs> and I, th- I mean, obviously, like in if you look at a lot of the people who are really big into the research, I mean, guys like Derek Miles and um, Michael Ray, and a lot of people like in clinical athlete and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think how we we operationally define some of this stuff is maybe not as strong. And I think there's still kind of like some gray area as far as like we don't 100% know exactly what we're doing, right? Like we don't know all the mechanisms. Right. We know that there's some things out there like, um, you know, mechanotransduction or whatever it is physiologically, like how we're creating some sort of a stimulus or, or change. But a lot of it is kind of like... You know, it's really, I think, an example of we really don't know that much. Like, we spend three three years, if not more, like, studying all this stuff to pass your board education. and or like, Sorry, your board exam based on your education. Um, but I think for me, and, and my God, because you're, you're, we'll see what your thoughts are on this, because you, you're mm-hmm. fresh out, and you just started it down at Duke. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I think one of the biggest things for me was realizing, like, how much I don't know. You know, you come oh, out of school sure. and FDU is like a fantastic school, especially like, you know, you know, Aaron and AJ do a fantastic job with like all the orthopedic stuff and clinical decision making. We have a great neuro professor and like all that stuff is like, and I know you, you said recently you've gone back to using a lot of Dr. Ferguson's stuff for treating some of your patients, Cal. Oh um, yeah. But I think like, you know, you go out all bright eyed and bushy tailed and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to fix everything. Like I'm going <laughs> to manip the crap out of people. We're going to like put, put stuff back into place. I'm going to heal you with my hands. And then you realize like, wow, there's a lot more to this profession and like working one-on-one with people than I, I realized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't agree more. There's, um, there's a term that somebody told me just recently, and I thought it was applicable for for somebody that's fresh out too. Is ESB, which is exploding brain syndrome, <laughs> or no EBS? Yeah, EBS. That's right. I'm not very good with acronyms, but <laughs> yeah, exploding brain syndrome. And so it's you know it's that whole concept. Like you do you you, you graduate and you come out and you're like, all right, I'm going to make some changes and all this kind of stuff. And um, there's so much more to it. And like you guys have just said, the more that you like, I don't know, you have practice and working with patients, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> and, you know, and you just like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's been a challenge for sure. And definitely an eye-opening experience 
what I've found has been really helpful is, gosh darn it, just taking the time to listen to somebody and and spending the time and making sure that they understand that you hear them and then that you're there for them to try to make a big change or at least anything that you can do to kind of make that connection um, has been helpful. But I'd be curious what your guys' thoughts are and all that stuff too. No, I think that that's I think that that's spot on. Um, because all with all of this, I don't I don't think that anyone who is in school or is new to to the profession should take away from this conversation that you you know that you're not going to be able to help when you come out. That's not that's not the case at all. Like you are prepared to help, and and I think that if you you know just going off of what Mike said there. That's, I mean, creating those relationships. Uh, you know, that's there's there's some evidence. There's uh, some good evidence that says that that's half the battle. Like, if someone feels connected and appreciated, and that you have their best, you know, their well-being in mind, and then you're and you're gonna do your best to make them better. That that's gonna help them buy in. You know, we talk about patient buy-in with people all the time, and how important that is. That's, I mean, that's your first step. That's your first foot in the door to helping this person get better. So, you know, don't take away that, you know, just because you don't know everything or that you don't know a lot, that you're not going to be able to help. That's, again, you're you're very capable. You're going to be able to do it. You're going to be able to get people better. People get better if they think, if they trust you and, you know, buy into to what you're giving them. Yeah, and I, I think the... I guess I, I didn't I didn't want it to make it to come across like that. Like if that was what was taken away. I, you oh know. no, God, no, 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 it didn't. It didn't. I, think I, I could it, just see someone kind yeah. of taking it that way. I think it's more of just like understanding that it's okay to feel that way. Right. Because you're yeah. gonna, especially when you first come out, there's gonna be moments where you're you're gonna email somebody and you're gonna go, what? Like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there's gonna be pages where you like you like you're going down the list and you're like I can't either you can't reproduce it. Or it reproduces in ways that just don't make sense, mm-hmm. and so you know, you at that point, it's like, well, I know that if I use education and reassurance, right, talk to them about pain a little bit, let them understand that, like, you know, pain's a natural process. This isn't the end of the world. This is something that we're going to work together as a team. Here's my hypothesis for what's going on right now, and we're going to do our best to work as a team to try and help you kind of guide you through this as you as you rehab, right. And then what I do, especially because there's tons of people, they're like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make a difference with this person. But a lot of times, if you just give them some non-threatening exercise that just gets them moving, it does, again, we don't know the mechanisms, but it probably does something to the nervous system, as <laughs> well as building a good rapport and like just being a good human. Like that alone right there could probably knock out somebody's pain, like potentially like 60, 70%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, as long as you're using critical reasoning and you're not and you're not throwing someone you know into an unfamiliar territory you know start simple and make sure that they feel safe and they're not going to get hurt that's that's perfectly reasonable like that's that's you know you don't have to you want to minimize how many things that you throw at them where you're where you don't think you're going to understand the mechanism what what's going to what's going to help and what's going to hurt but boy if you've got some clinical reasoning behind it that's that's you know i that's more than enough justification as long as you're safe to to give someone an exercise that you know let's find out i think sometimes um kind of off that too it can be very daunting i know especially for me as a, a new clinician like Sometimes you get to the point where you're like, well, what am I, what do I work on? Right? Like, and I think sometimes if you can just figure out, like, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you can't do? And what are things that you can do? 
And how can we make the things that you can do slightly more challenging over time so that you can do the things that you want to do? You know what I mean? It's kind of like just regressing stuff back and going, okay, well, you can't hike and stairs are painful, but what is something that we can do that's like kind of like stairs? It does a lot of quad stuff, but that you can tolerate. And like, let's maybe let's just start with some sit to stance or like a box squat or, you know, something easy. And then let's, let's progress here to some single leg stuff. And then maybe let's do some step ups and then just kind of work toward, you know, that, that kind of progression. Yeah. And I think it, it can be very easy, especially, you know, to, to kind of get, like, get caught up in, in thinking like big picture too fast and maybe not, not really thinking how easy it can be to scale something back. So I think a lot of times if you just keep, keep it to the kiss, is it kiss principle? The keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That can be super beneficial. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) The other thing too, that was on my mind was uh, when we were talking about school, I think it's, especially where coming from SU, I think that, you know, patient communication and all that stuff was definitely something that was impressed upon us and taught to us. But I think that for a lot of people, that could probably be one of the easiest things to skip over. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because when you're so focused on like passing boards or like knowing all your different clinical predictor rules or patterns or things like that, um, the, those like kind of like professional issues and communication stuff and motivational interviewing, those can be the first things that you're like, eh, I already know this. This doesn't really matter. Let me <laughs> focus on all the orthopedic stuff or all the neuro stuff that I need to memorize for this test. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what becomes much more apparent when you come out is that, hey, these are actually the things that I really need to use more on a daily basis. And then I need to have a great understanding of this like educational stuff to like create a good foundation for me clinically, but that like I really need the soft skills for day-to-day use. Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel like, I mean, obviously you need a, a knowledge base to be able to be a competent clinician, right? To make sure that you're prescribing exercises and doing your evaluations that minimize harm, like you had said, Cal. Um, but you also need that aspect of human interaction in a, uh, I don't know, a profession where you're working with humans on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, uh, and just building that therapeutic alliance and trust like we had talked about. And so, yeah, um, looking back, I think as you did a good job um, talking about those things, I think it's definitely a skill that I wish I had I don't know, worked on more um, in it, but it's so easy, like you had mentioned, Jake, to uh, basically be focusing on all the different biomechanical parts and the pathoanatomic features and so and so and all this kind of stuff when you're trying to study that for boards. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, to be able to apply the soft skills, you do have to pass and get your license. So that's, you know, there there are priorities. Um, Mm -hmm. But no, I I mean, I think you guys are spot on with that. That's, that's, you know, that's, I think that that's a great way to improve early, especially as you're coming out into, quote unquote, the real world. (laughs) Now, Cal, do you, so like for, I guess for some of our listeners that, are probably either newer grads or in school right now, kind of doing clinical rotations. Is there anything like soft skill wise or communication wise that you would um, like tips or tricks that you've picked up or things that you recommend working with patients? There, and this is, this is one that I do need to work on. There's a, um, 
there's a it's a, I believe it's Skillman. Skillman and he's and they are with um it might be it might have been out of JAMA, I forget. But anyway, it's it's this it's this entire kind of system to on how to kind of use different physical cues, verbal cues to connect with the patient. You know, your positioning is important. Like let's say you've got someone who's in physical therapy for the first time and they've just hurt their back and they're it's the first time they've ever had a real injury. And it's like, well, you know, my doctor told me it's my back and but I feel it kind of in my butt and down my leg and it's like almost down to my knee. Like why why is that? Like, I don't like, and they're, you know, they're uninitiated to kind of the medical field. They're nervous coming in most likely, right? If you, if you put yourself, you know, in front of them where they don't have a path to escape, you cross your arms or you're only at your computer, that person, one, doesn't think that you care. And two, is probably not going to open up to, to give you some of those little insights that you need on what, what treatment might work best. Or, or they might not think back to remember that, you know, before this happened, before I tried to lift that up and I felt that back pain, like, I had noticed that I had sat in the car. It had been a long, you know, week where I had done some traveling in the car and I was in there for a couple hours at a time. Like, they might not get to that point. So body language and, and kind of that, that the ability to, to ask open-ended questions in a way that's that's non-threatening and non, you know, you want to come off as the authority, but you don't want to be authoritarian. Does that make sense? I like that. Like, like that's you. You, you want that show notes, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's like that's so like it's that sort of thing. So look, I don't know enough. To, to reference Skillman, I, I went to, at CSM, there was a, um, maybe two years ago, whenever it was in San Antonio, um, there was a really good lecture on that. And it was a lot of, it was a lot of fellows and OCS, and not a lot of the students made it there, but it was, a, it was eye-opening. Um, because there are, there are things that you can do where, you know, I will, I, I know I have to catch myself in leading people with questions. Like you do, you do something and you know, you have this pattern in your mind and you think that, well, because they have this and that, then they should have, they should have this third thing. And so you'll, instead of asking them, are there any other symptoms that, that you have? And the question like, so do you also have pain that goes here or was the pain burning? Like, and you lead them to an area. And that, again, if someone if someone is not as used to advocating for themselves or are ready to defer to you as the expert, then they might go ahead and agree with that to not sound stupid, even though, no, it's not that they have burning pain or it doesn't go down there. In fact, you're quite wrong, Mr. Physical Therapist. Like, here's what my pain is or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think kind of going off that... Um, <clears throat> That whole open-ended question thing. One of one of the things that I've picked up from Aneta, where I work um, at Pro, is to not like. I mean, you, you have to be careful with it sometimes because you don't want to go too deep, right? You kind of have to read the patient and see if they're like. Sometimes you get talkers and like it's like, look, I got 15 minutes. We gotta like actually do something with you <laughs> <laughs> because I got patients coming in. So like we get we you know. There's definitely some patients like that where you need to be a little bit more um, concise and trying to cut some stuff off. But definitely with those open-ended questions, there's an opportunity to really kind of get what's going on, 
right? If you just if you just ask somebody, you know, like a very simple question, um, you get a very simple answer. But if you ask them an open-ended question and you ask maybe a couple more questions based off of that, and just say somebody's nervous about something, and it's just like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like jumping or I don't like impact activities. And I could just write that down, like, oh, a patient doesn't like impact activities. But with a lot of people, if you ask, you know, like, well, why is that? And maybe you get an answer like, well, I think that my knee's unstable. And when I do these things, my kneecap feels like it's popping out of place. Right. And so that could be a huge thing for you right there. Just the fact that they're nervous when they do these activities because they feel that they have this inherent instability. And then that gives you an opportunity to show them later on when you do your evaluation, like, hey, look, you know, your kneecap moves naturally, but this doesn't mean that it's popped out of place. Right. This is completely normal. And I think that what's maybe triggering that is just this more fear and anxiety that you associate this movement with pain. Right. You kind of created this condition response where, Something happened and your knee hurt when you're doing an impact activity. And so now there's almost this expectation that there's going to be pain, expectation that there's going to be instability, right? So I think like knowing when to follow up on some of those questions is something that for me has been like a really big eye-opening thing that I've been trying to work on a lot over the past like year and a half just to kind of like lead me to some of those more potentially maybe emotional, maybe like anxiety-related but it, it leads to a lot more like um, moments where you can connect with somebody and, and hopefully alleviate some of their concerns. Absolutely. <laughs> Here comes a little chills. <laughs> this happens every show. <laughs> I get chills all the time. You guys make me feel warm and fuzzy. Well, now we can see it. That's yeah. Right. That's yeah, true. you can see the, man, oh, man. the shuffles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> It's fantastic. I mean, well, we've, we've touched on a lot of this different stuff um, and talking about kind of like your experiences um, as you graduated to where you are now. So, Cal, if you, you know, looking back on the experiences that you've had so far um, from when you graduated, if you could hop in a time machine and go back to, you know, 2017 when you graduated and give yourself advice uh, on what to expect or like any tips or tricks that you've learned, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Um kind of moving forward to the future from the things that you've learned? Yeah, that's, boy, that's a good question. Um, what, I mean, I think what I would, what I would say, at least uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is don't, don't sweat the job search so much, you know, feel take ownership of, of the kind of practice you'd like to be at. Um, and, and, you know, I, this, that's not a, that's not a commentary on I, where I'm working right now is awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good place, you know, and then there's, there's good work being done there, but that's, you know, that's something that, yeah, that'll cause, that could cause some anxiety. It did cause some anxiety. Um, and, and you don't feel like you are necessarily able to come from a position of power or a position of here's you know here are my demands like uh, you know it, it, everyone says it all the time you're also interviewing your boss when you go into a job interview and and you know as a new grad yeah there's you, know, you don't have all of the bargaining chips in the world but you you are you know someone who can bring value to the, your place of work and you need to recognize that um, so that's you know that's that's the first thing that pops to up, up in my in my brain there. Um, 
And then second, don't be afraid to like just any and all education opportunities, take them, like take them and, and, and use them to the best of your ability. Like that's, you're going to, even if it's not your favorite thing in the world or you felt like, man, I didn't get a whole lot out of that course, you'll find yourself later on being like, oh yeah, I remember that. All right. I'm going to use that here, man. Good thing I took that course or good thing I read that article or, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess on the topic of education, um, you are currently in an OCS residency program? Yes. All right. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so it's through EIM. Um, and you know, it's it's a nice it's a nice process that, that where I work has has a has a little partnership with them. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's made, you know, it's made getting you know, getting started pretty good. Um, what I will say is immediately is that when you're looking for a residency program, look into you know what the style of teaching is and what your style of learning is, uh, because all of the experiences that you know that Manly and I didn't get into before you know as in the little intro there, uh, you know that those those were some highlights. There were many many hours of of just working as you know as our little study group to. You know, just get the work done and go make sure that, you know, we are accountable to one another. That's my study style. I, I like to have a group to, one, keep me accountable and two, keep me on track. Um, the EIM stuff is good. It is a lot of online learning, and that's been an adjustment. Um, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm on a good, I'm in a good place and I've got a pretty good routine going right now. Um, but that was, you know, there was initial couple of weeks of like, oh boy, what have I done? How do I get this done? Where do I look for anything? Like it's, you know, it's because it's, it's you and you know, you do, you have people that you can email, but you're also working, you're also working full time. And uh, there's only, there's only so much brain space that you can keep to, you know, thinking about, you know, well, I did, I got to look at that syllabus, but also I've got to write a couple notes and boy, if that treatment session didn't go well last time, how can we make that better? And uh, so there's, you know, and then, you know, you want to check the boxes of, all right, here, I got this done. I got that done. I got that done. And so make sure that if, when you go into something, you know, you know, what kind of organization you're going to need and what kind of support group you're going to need. Um, I, again, it's, things are good now. Uh, those, you know, the first couple of weeks was, was kind of a wild ride, <laughs> but other than that, it's, it's, you know, I, I just the last two days, uh, where I'm doing cervical spine stuff right now, it's, that's kind of the, the big block that I'm in. And I've been able to incorporate that into, into three or four patients and, and see some pretty immediate results. It's, it's nice to have a very intense school-based learning while you're treating because, you know, when you go on your rotations, here's all the stuff that you did and you try to utilize that as best you can. But when you can go from, all right, I just did, I just did two days worth of cervical treatment on, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of PTs and I'm, Hey, look at that. I have a cervical eval the next day. And you can, you know, you can, implement that right away and kind of use those hands-on skills and use use the motor skills that you learned in lab and and affect change immediately and get buy-in if we're going to keep talking about that um <laughs> that's that's really really nice that is that's rewarding that's really rewarding 
That's awesome. So is it okay? So you mentioned that there was like a, a lot of online learning, but there's there's lab components to this as well. Is that so? Yes, there's weekend intensives. Um, okay. I'll just based on so you've got kind of they're not. I would wouldn't call them semesters, but kind of four blocks that are that are broken up into you know you've got cervical thoracic, you've got upper extremity, lower extremity, and low back. Um, and you know, with each of those, there comes something you know another kind of supplemental course. I can't even call it supplemental course; just a second course that you know isn't necessarily tied into exactly what body region you're working with. But like right now, I'm doing a um, a musculoskeletal imaging class, um, and and so like I've got those things um, there. And again, that's a lot of reading, online lectures. Um, and then uh, discussion based dis discussion board posts where you know you're you've got a cohort that you're working with and you're you know you're responding to some of these guided questions and then you know the rest of the rest of that week and a half or so you are you know let's talk about this let's hash this out you know why did you think that here's what my impressions are here's what i've seen in, in the clinic what do you find effective that kind of stuff mm -hmm. that's so cool it's it's nice to have like you said it's kind of like a you have this like the educational component while you're uh, practicing, and so you can practice the, the skills and the things that you've learned in that kind of intensive or in the like the classes and write to your patient care and kind of help with patient outcomes. Um, I think that's neat. Do you think um, it has a lot to do with just the I don't know the reflection aspect of the thing, like the guided questions and like the accountability, or is it you know in addition to like the the learning aspect of things like? I guess I guess what I'm trying to ask is, you know, is it is it more so the course material that you're learning, or is it the the fact that you're kind of reflecting on each of these different patient cases? Like, where do you think that that all plays out? I think that that integrates pretty nicely with one another. I'm not sure it's one or the other. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, that's again, that's kind of my learning style is is to be able to implement it right away is helpful. I think most people that's probably helpful. I, don't, I can't claim that learning style. Um, <laughs> but but um, I, I think that being held accountable by, you know, this is what we're reading this week and like, and we are going to have to have, a, we're going to have a discussion on it allows you to, uh, gives you, I can't think of the word right now. Um, lights a fire under you. That's yeah. not. That's whatever that one word is for that <laughs> phrase. Um, and it, you know, it makes you responsible for it. And and so, on top of that, then learning it and having it fresh in your mind, and then being able to apply it somewhere and seeing tangible results. That's that combination meshes nicely. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's almost like. A, the visual in this, I don't know, um, but the visual I get is almost like it's like a pressure cooker. So, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of going through and learning all this information and it's kind of like pushing down a little bit to kind of give you that kind of like fire underneath you and all that kind of stuff, motivating you to kind of continue to challenge yourself to improve. Um, and then, you know, the result is this beautiful like dish. That is your clinical practice, I That's guess. That's right. Yeah. It's not a it's not a perfect metaphor, no, but I you know, I <laughs> it's it's good. I you know, I I could go for a pressure cooked meal right yeah. now. <laughs> what about a crock pot meal in your small tan and brown crock pot? <laughs> we could do it. Perfect. <laughs> we could do it. That's that's the one. That's the one that was my... mysteriously missing from your house. Oh my gosh! For... <laughs> I, looked so, I looked so long for it, and I, my poor wife. I like, 
I like, did you move it somewhere? Like, where did it go? And she's like, didn't, did you just leave it in Winchester? And I was like, no way. And then like, and then like, you know, after thinking about that for a little bit, she comes, you should text Manly. And I was like, all right, I'll text Manly. And sure enough, Manly has it. When we room, when we when we were in the same house in Winchester, and I had egg on my face, <laughs> I had crockpot on my face. <laughs> it was funny because it was it was the crockpot, it was the the beer glass that you left at yeah. Bobby's wedding, and then another beer glass. Yes. And so when we went on the David's wedding or David's bachelor party road trip. I like showed up to Cal's house and was just like, <laughs> "Here's here's a pile of your things from a year ago." <laughs> oh man, if only I had saved some of the Tupperware that we threw out. <laughs> <laughs> I claim very little of that. I wasn't there long enough to have have any of that be mine. So, uh, Mike, you remember the house that we or the townhouse that I was in, right? Mm-hmm. It was pretty close to where you lived. Um, where, where I live now, <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the house that we were in was basically just a revolving door of like PT students. And so it started off in undergrad with the original cast members of the house. And then people graduated and left and like, then Brad came in and then Tyler graduated. And, you know, because of the ratings, they decided to get rid of the Asian cast member and bring on another white guy. It was a questionable call as far as like, you know, usually how it works, but Tyler left and then I, I came in. Um, and then it, from there it was like, you know, David and then Blake and then Cal and then Brooke, like Brooke and everybody else, not really in that order. Cause I was, I kind of like, I messed it up a little bit, but there were so many people that lived in that house. The amount of Tupperware that we had to throw away literally filled like a trash can and a half, like, curbside trash can oh my goodness <laughs> david and i spent like two and a half hours just like finding tupperware like digging it out of place <laughs> it was ridiculous and the amount of papers from curtis's like freshman year english class was insane it was crazy uh good house though Lots of memories. Lots of memories. A lot of fights. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember, like, Brooke and Cur- or not Brooke, um, David, David and Curtis would just go upstairs um, while mom and dad were fighting. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the overlying season arc of season six. Yes. Yeah. Uh, good times. <laughs> oh man so on to back onto the topic of continuing education because i don't know how we got to tupperware oh because the crock pot uh <laughs> really mike this is all your fault so sorry <laughs> i'm not though that was a great story <laughs> so you're you're entirely blameless mike <laughs> um dude so talk about uh some of the courses that you've taken uh, yeah. Um, well, when, right away, uh, kind of that last, that third year of um, PT school, I was fortunate enough to go to CSM, uh, which was a fantastic, uh, which is a fantastic opportunity. Um, 
that is really a whirlwind um and and you know it you're you're gonna learn a lot and you're gonna leave csm like physical therapy and you're just gonna like i'm gonna use all of this and it was so much so fast to like you'll use some stuff and you'll remember it and it'll be good um but i like i like you know the one topic targeted stuff uh, so like in the bio i've taken sfma level one and level two um that's that's made the biggest impact in my in my uh kind of clinical treatment at this point um outside of that um i took a webinar um with um adrian lau which was Mm. cool um that was a nice pain science webinar through apta um and that was that was good i was able to incorporate that a bunch and that's where that combined with some of the sfma level two correctives um, and kind of the framework for that has is kind of where you know I've got to this point where I, we are doing a lot of nervous system treatment, um, you know, we, uh, indirectly or directly. But that's you know there's a there's enough that makes sense there, and there's some pretty good literature out there about it that that much smarter people than me who are putting this all together. I just get to be the messenger, which is kind of fun. Um, uh, that that's that's kind of started to incorporate that into you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff we're doing to treat you know the nervous system um outside of that you know the eim stuff is going right now and again right now this is cervical and uh and the musculoskeletal imaging and i don't have a disk drive on my work computer so everyone comes in with their images and i'm like ooh, i'm ready to look and then i can't oh <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about the sfma because I know we had um, Dr. Mike on like last year mm-hmm. and he did an SCS residency with Kyle Kiesel down at um, University of Evansville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we touched on it a little bit there. Mike and I have both been to uh, a clinical at Exos down in uh, Gulf Breeze. And I think that's where we got exposed to a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because like, again, like listening to a lot of, people on like message boards and stuff and like discuss this these things i think they're as with any system that you pick up or like that you start to utilize there's always gonna be pros and cons um and so i think it's interesting like some of the criticisms that are out there about that as far as like um a lot of people get hung up on the classification system of like dysfunctional functional like and i mean i get that Obviously, I'm not going to, like, look at my patient and go, oh, my God, your toe touch is so dysfunctional. How do you even do, like, half of the things on a daily basis? Dysfunctional, painful, man. You got no shots. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I I like it. And, and Mike, I mean, I'm interested to see, like, I guess your experience with it uh, from, from Exos. But it was really interesting for me because – SU is obviously a very, like, ortho-heavy, manual-heavy uh, schooling. Yeah. And so going to Exos and, like, being a little bit more um, immersed in some of the kind of, like, con- just other end of the spectrum stuff, like, very exercise-focused, very exercise-heavy, um, a lot of, like, SFMA stuff, like correctives and assessments and all that, it really, like... I think I did a complete 180 after that clinical um, because before that I was like, I'm going to do an ortho residency, like manual therapy, manual therapy, manual therapy. And then I came back from Florida and I was like, dude, I haven't touched somebody in like three, four months. 
Like I was like, we, we helped somebody achieve no back pain without even touching them. And I, my brain was just like your EBS or whatever it is, exploding from brain. I was just like, <laughs> and I think for me, that window into like seeing how powerful exercise can be and how you were kind of talking about using some of those like corrective exercises um, to affect the nervous system. Um, it, it was just a very eye-opening experience that there are other methods out there and that, you know, just a testament to how powerful exercise can be. Yeah, no, and I think that's 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 good. And, and I think that that's, you know, you can go in any of those directions. Um, but with, I mean, with the SFMA, it's, it's all like you've learned most of it before you get to, before you get to the system. Like it's a really nice way of organizing your thoughts and, 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 you know, you're still going by at the end of it. If you find, if you find a piece of the body that isn't moving well, you're going to then get down to, you know, your, your individual, you're going to get to that body part. You're going to do a, a, a joint assessment and you're going to do a muscle length assessment. And that like, that doesn't change how you get there changes a little bit. And, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't try to pro proclaim that I am an expert by any means with the SFMA. I, you know, it's probably a little bastardized the way I use it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, I, I yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't call myself a purist. I I like it and I utilize it and I try to stick to it as best I can. Uh, but there are certain points where you know what I I found some I found some rotational deficits and I'm gonna go straight to the low back right now because that's where they started and that's where their pain is. So I'm gonna treat that. I'm not gonna tease out. You know, if if you're there, I'm not going to tease out the multi-segmental rotation by looking at hips and looking at ankles and then getting up to the thoracic spine. And then, you know, if if that's limited, then I can't tell you if it's the low back. There's going to be times where, you know, everything you're telling me and clinical reasoning tells me I should go to your low back. I'm going to come back to this other stuff later because there's probably, you know, there is there's a change that we can make. But right now, let's let's hit that. Let's hit that spot that's giving you trouble. And like you said, I mean, at its roots, it's kind of just an algorithm. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Like, it's basically every a ton of orthopedic tests that you learn in school. Right. It's just um, somebody like the Gray Cook and you know the FMS group just kind of like took a a logical approach as far as like you know moving from standing stuff to like supine prone stuff and just taking out different segments. And yeah. I really do like I appreciate the you know the the framework and the thought behind that. And I think like. I mean, I I'm not a purist either. I don't I don't run the full thing, but I there's a lot of stuff that I've pulled from that. And oh, for sure, definitely shaped, shaped my, definitely. Like, my treatment. Yeah, no, like 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 taking away stability requirements. I don't tell the patient that that's what we're doing when I you know they can't turn their head left or right, and then I put them supine and they can. Like I didn't say, well, I I took away stability requirements, and it's like, well, no, like the, your your brain doesn't feel threatened here. Like, right, your, your brain doesn't feel threatened to do, the, to do this motion here because you don't have to hold your head against gravity. That's so true. And to kind of, like, piggyback on what you guys are saying there, um, I like, and I'm not a purist either when it comes to those kinds of things. What I like about some kind of a system is it frees up brain RAM, sure. if you will. You know, so if you, and whatever whatever it is that your flow is, but if you get good at your flow and you can do your flow to kind of go through your assessment, you can spend more time thinking about what actually is going on and what those results mean than trying to figure out what the next step is in the process. You know, and so, you know, for me looking at, you know, 
for the SFMA, I can look at these movements and then go through those the stability requirement changes and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I'm not saying that to the patient. I agree with you, Cal. Um, but then, you know, I could say, okay, you know, it's not threatening here, like you had just mentioned, and all that kind of stuff. And that allows me to think about that stuff as I'm putting it together, rather than thinking about, you know, oh, I need to do this movement next, and I need to make sure that I check this motion and then this, you know. Um, so that clinical reasoning piece kind of comes through when you have something that's an algorithm that's streamlined. And yeah, you free up a little bit more brain space for that. Yeah. No, and that's what, that's what, uh, you know, like you like you said, I, I use an abridged or bastardized version of it. I don't run the whole thing with everybody. I kind of have my flow that I've established. You know, if it's an upper extremity patient, I'm going to look at neck and shoulder and how they move. I'm going to I'm going to do a lot of those breakouts. I really like the quadruped T spine extension rotation one, and I actually showed that to Aaron in clinic a couple months ago, and he was like, "I like this." Yeah. Something that that I, I would I would see myself using. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of like cool stuff that even maybe you've learned, but you haven't really thought about applying it in a specific way. And I think it's, it can be a very easy, um, algorithm that anybody can apply, right? Whether you're coming from like a Maitland background, if you're like super into to manual therapy and, and joint assessment stuff, you can very easily apply that. And in fact, I think that to some extent they encourage you to do like localized assessments and stuff with joints. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's just an easy, it's an in, if you can learn it and you can kind of pull some stuff from it, I think it can help to to be a, a way to streamline your evaluation process, um, and that's that's kind of like just how I practice. I'm, I'm definitely like biased towards it. I wouldn't say that it's like the end all be all, and I think that you know just like with anything else, like there there's going to be things that you're going to learn from any course. I think the danger is going back to a great Star Wars quote that you know, only Sith, a Sith deals in absolutes, right? Mm. Just recognize that, like, at the end of the day, your critical thinking and your clinical judgment, just like what Cal was talking about, trump everything else, mm. right? Like, you can be super biased with SMA. You can be super biased with Maitland-style treatment. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you have to use that critical thinking and go, all right, well, okay, I should probably look at this, you know? I think where people get hung up, though, is, like, on the... Um, the classification systems, and if you're telling somebody that they're dysfunctional, mm. right? Because if you if you tell someone that you're dysfunctional or that they're dysfunctional, you're potentially noceboing them into something else. Sure. Because you never not want someone to leave with more issues than they came in with. Mm -hmm. Like I've definitely made that mistake in the past. That's yeah. actually a great. That's a great, great thing. I think going back to what you, uh, I mean, a perfect point. Going back to like. So tips and tricks for for someone just coming out like do not do not feel the need to point out or to assess every little thing that's wrong with someone because no one no one's going to walk in as the Petruvian man you know no one's no one's Bobby from our class like no one except like, for Bobby except for Bobby <laughs> um, that man is perfect um but like like that like if if it's an if it's not affecting their function make a mental note I wouldn't necessarily point it out. It's something that you can have in the back of your head where, well, you know, the neck doesn't move perfect and they're having some elbow pain. Is that neck affecting the shoulder, affecting the elbow? Maybe. Let's, you know, let's treat what we find right now and then let's come back to the neck and, and treat that as we're able to if we're not seeing results from the initial treatment. And I think that that right there is a really good point. Like, it gives you something to, 
you kind of like just get a little, little bit more of a global screen, and that's what I like. And I think especially in more of like the sports stuff that like working with like a lot of athletes, I like to know how somebody moves, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of what system it is or how you use it, I think it's good to know like, hey, this person's hamstring length or like you know their hip flexion is maybe not super great, right? I don't know that it's causative for anything. It may be just they're normal. But it's something that I can keep in mind with my exercise selection. You know what I mean? Same thing with like hip flexor length. Maybe if I want to program a Bulgarian split squat, right? But somebody has like a really nasty Thomas test, maybe that's not something I do right away, right? Maybe I ease into, oh my God, Mike just went green. I went green? Is Did that Hulk out? I think that's you, man. That's yeah. I think it's you. Interesting. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that one of the, the positive things that I've definitely drawn from like more of like that kind of like global assessment of movement, it's just nice to know more things about somebody to then choose more effective like exercises and, and dosages for those things, right? Because I think one of the biggest things, and, and I think all of us have heard, I've talked to both of you about this, is that like it can be very easy to get in the same, like the pitfall of just here's the same three exercises that I give everybody because first day in your lumbar patient, we're going to do clamshells and bridges and I'm going to give you like a sciatic nerve stretch. Right. I think it can be very easy to fall in the trap of like forgetting about how powerful exercise can be. Right. And putting maybe the focus on more of like the hands-on skills and maybe there's a, there's probably a time and a place for that. But I think that if you can, see how somebody moves and maybe tease out some contributing factors that may potentially be causative for what's going on, whether or not you buy into the regional interdependence model or not. Right. I think just having more of an understanding about who someone is entirely and how they move can help you pick some more appropriate exercises for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning too, kind of combining and trying to understand what the person's motivations and goals are. Right. So, I mean, you can look at a global kind of lens in terms of understanding how somebody moves. And then you also need to understand, like, why are they, why do they need to move that way? You know, like, what's their motivation for what they're doing? You know, somebody's really into Taekwondo. Okay. So how do we get them into, you know, to do that? Um, You know, what kind of positions do they need to be in? Can they get into those positions? And then can we scale it back like we had talked about earlier um, to to challenge them appropriately so they can eventually get back to the things that they want to do? And that kind of exercise prescription ends up being a little bit more specific to what they need um, and helps with that buy-in aspect to kind of bring it back in. And it makes it fun, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And like, it makes it fun. Like I, I, I have a, I have a patient that I love. He's, I've seen him a few times now. Um, and he was in for a, he ruptured his anterior tib tendon. Um, and so, you know, we're fine. He's finally getting out of the boot and we're starting to work on some strengthening and we're starting to get into some weight bearing. And so we start working on balance and he progresses along pretty nicely. And he, uh, he, we start doing some tandem walking and like he did okay with some tandem walking, some heel toe stuff. And so then I turned it into a, just a high knee tandem march. And he was like, hey, man, I used to do martial arts. And this is like, they used to have us do this. Like we would follow the line. Like we, and we would do kicks each time. And I was, oh, cool. And like, oh, what did that look like? And like all of a sudden here he is, this man who doesn't seem like he should be able to kick as high as he does, but really starts to kick. 
And like, and he starts having fun. He gains, he like, he benefits. He's working on balance. Like, I'm awesome. Yes, I love that. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I wish I could kick as high as he can. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, goals. There you go. <laughs> One one day, a a boy can dream. <laughs> What's the Walt Disney quote? If you can dream it, you can do it. I don't know that I could ever kick a can off of your head, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely dream about it, but I don't think that that will ever be a reality. <laughs> well, shoot me a text when you do dream about it. I'd like to hear about that. <laughs> Oh man, I've had some weird dreams, and I had some weird dreams in grad school. I don't remember a lot of them, but I remember talking about them definitely with like you and, <laughs> and just yeah. weird stuff. Well, again, your mind is a beautiful and strange place. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, what's the Rick and Morty episode where uh, <laughs> her like childhood friend was banished to that like. <sighs> Planet. Yeah, that's that's in the third season. I can't remember, but yes, yeah, she abandons him there. Yeah, was it? What was it? I forget what it was called. Um, I'm gonna Google search some stuff. Yeah. But Fruity uh, Land. Fruity Land. I think that it was sounds, Fruity Land. That sounds right. Um, but I feel like that's probably my brain is probably <laughs> that. Um, Middle Earth. The collected universe of Star Wars, Trek, and Gate, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> um, and just like some other random stuff thrown in there. There's got to be some sort of like testosterone room in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's like, you know, we probably, Fruity Land hosts all the world's strongest man every year. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> sometimes good. the weights are made out of like Fruit Loops and donuts. Um, but, you know, they're just very heavy. Yeah, there's a lot of mass. Density. Yes, mm-hmm. density. Actually, we, we, our gravity is like 400 times that of Earth. <laughs> every, every member of Fruity Land is it's like they're training in the hyperbaric time <laughs> from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yes. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to, like, be here for that whole thing that just happens. <laughs> Just made me so happy. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, very good. Oh, man. Mike, what else are we going to talk about? What's on this thing? Beer? Is yeah. That what next? We can talk a little bit about that. And then I think we're getting, we're running pretty close to the end of our show, too. So why don't we talk? Let's talk about some homebrewing stuff and then. And then we'll ask you some of those uh, those final questions that we yeah, have here. So that sounds good. Um, so yeah, yeah. For those uh, listeners out there, um, people probably aren't super familiar. Uh, but Cal, you're a home brewer, right? Yes. Yeah. Been doing it. What year is it now? I've been doing it for about seven years, seven or eight, something like that. Right on. Okay. What got you into it? Uh, to be honest, I I had a I had a buddy who did it in college. Um, 
and uh, you know, as as one sometimes doesn't do, will do in college. You know, you may partake in a in a beverage or two. And uh, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, turned out to be a relative hotbed of local breweries. Um, started to get turned on to some of that stuff and said, well, this could be fun to try to make. And again, I had access to it. It was a buddy who was who was doing it. I said, can I tag along on a brew day and learn? He goes, yeah. And it, that was it. Nice. Well, that's cool. And then it was like love at first sight, right? It really, it was, yes, it really was. Um, my, uh, I was I was dating my wife at the time. And, uh, and shout out to Molly. Shout out Molly. Um, Farmer Molly. Um, she has four brothers, two of whom also homebrew. So she kind of had an in on like where to get some of the beginning knowledge and got me the, uh, kind of the, that, that initial, the joy of homebrewing, um, the Charlie Papazian book. And I, I think I demolished that in like a week and just (laughs) like the whole thing, like front to back. And, and that was, you know, that was where, you know, we, I started from there and that's, it's, it's kind of progressed ever since awesome so uh for, for i guess for our listeners out there that aren't really super familiar with um the techniques involved or any of that kind of stuff or like what what are are there different types of home home brews or are there different like different strategies you can use or, or how do you do it yeah so there are different strategies um there are the the easiest way the the simplest way to access the world of homebrew is to is to use kind of a pre-made kit and that tends to come with a prepackaged syrup and then whatever sort of ingredients that you might have to add otherwise. And you just need a big enough pot to, to boil it in and a big enough, and a big enough uh, plastic, plastic bucket to store it in after it, when it starts to ferment. Um, so that's, that's the simplest way. And then it goes up in, I don't want to say, I guess complexity and number of steps. How about that? The number of steps that you have to take. Um, where you can actually go to an all grain method, which is what I do at this point, where you, you know, you get a little bit more, you can you can be a little bit more nuanced with the ingredients, and you can kind of make exactly what you're looking for, mm, um, okay. by picking how much grain, and how many pounds, which is really just the amount of sugar that you're adding. How you know how much sugar do I want to put into this thing to make it taste like this with this much alcohol content, and you know, do I want it to be sweet? Do I want it to be very clean? Do I want it to be bitter? That's more of a hops thing, but like you, you're allowed to, you can make your own recipes and kind of put them in that way. Okay. So, so if I get this right, there's kind of like, you got your like first, first step would be like kind of like an extract brew um, where, you know, it's like a kit, everything's pretty much ready for you to go. You just need some basic equipment to kind of get started. Uh, You follow the recipe and go from there. Um, And then as you add in more steps, you can get a little bit more creative and a little bit more nuanced in how you want your flavor profile to be. Um, yep. And that would be kind of more of that like kind of all grain. Yeah, kind of style. yeah ex- exactly. And, and don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there are ways that if you want to buy extract and, and not in a kit and you just want to get like, I want this kind of extract and that kind of extract, you can do a very similar thing. Like, like all grain by no means is superior. There are, there are, there are plenty of extract brews that are, that are just, that are, you know, people are making really good stuff. Cool. So that's just there's a lot of variability. It seems yeah. like that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. What is um, what is like the the brew in the bag method? Because I've heard I've heard oh, that. Oh yeah. So yeah. that's not one that I have a whole lot of familiarity with. But that's that's basically you're using a a um, you're using kind of a mucilin bag, and that's where your grains are going to go. And so it allows you to kind of put that 
in the the kettle that you're going to use for the water there and kind of and make your the, the term is mash so that's where you're basically steeping the grains at a certain temperature in order to extract their sugars okay um and again that's what the yeast that you put in there that's what they eat that's what they turn into alcohol carbon dioxide and maybe some flavor um so you uh, then that's what's that flavonoids flavonoids yes um, so that's, that's, so you do that and you're able to use basically one kettle and, and you can kind of, if you're doing it on your stovetop or on a propane burner, something like that, you can kind of use that to keep you at a very consistent temperature, which is pretty important during the mash phase. Um, and then you take that bag out and then it's all self-contained and then you can just add what you need to, to kind of sparge it. And, and again, I'm, I might be butchering this a little bit. This is, this is one that I don't, you know, I'm not brewing in a bag. It's, but it does seem very convenient. Um, and you're able to kind of, I don't, I, that's the one thing is I don't know how you would sparge it, how you would rinse all those off. Regardless, it's very self-contained. And then you've still got just the same kettle there and you can go right into boiling it. Oh, cool. Okay. So how, how long does, um, let's say like an average brew day, how long would that take to, to, to make your home brew? Yeah. Um, do you want, do you want clean up as well? Um, <laughs> set up and set up and clean up is, is, is the tough part for me. Um, mm -hmm. because again, when you're dealing with sugar in places that are dark without a lot of oxygen, boy, there are some nasties that can get in there if you're not careful about it. Um, so usually it's like a five hour day from start to finish where I'm getting set up and, and going from there with a lot of that time just being sent waiting. Um, well, you know, with a mash waiting anywhere from 60 to 75 minutes and then getting six gallons of water to boil on a, on a, you know, a stove top at your house takes a little bit of time and then boiling for an hour. Like that's the, the a lot of it is waiting. Um, but so about five hours and then, you know, you pitch your yeast when you get it nice and cool, you find a nice quiet spot to put it away. Um, so you don't check it too early because that's always the hardest part. The hardest part is just letting it ferment long enough. Like mm -hmm. you're I, I, I'm so eager to just like, all right, let's see what it does. Uh, let's see how it's going to taste. Um, and so you usually, you know, ferment for anywhere. A, a standard, like the IPA that I have going right now is going to be a six-week fermentation. Um, and that's a little, that's, that's you know, four to six on that, four being on the early side. Um, if, you know, you don't have a lot of, of things to ferment in there, um, six being kind of average. And then you know, there's, I've done some heavier stuff that, you know, I've let sit for two or three months at a time before I've bottled or kegged it. Okay. And what is the, um, I guess, what's the, just kind of curious, like, what's the kind of benefit of letting it sit for a little bit longer? Does that change it at all, flavor profile-wise? Yeah, or? you allow the yeast to really do all of the work that they can. There's an initial rush where they are eating up as much sugar and they're actually using the oxygen in the beer to to multiply and create lots of them and then once that dies down after the first three four days to a week they they go a little more dormant because now they're anaerobic uh yeah. and and that just that takes them more time and if you get it too early there are sugars left over in the beer that are no longer fermented so you lose out on on some of the you lose out on some of the cleanness of the beer at times. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, you lose a little alcohol from it. Um, and then if you do bottle and you do, you know, do um, you ferment it or not, you, you carbonate in the bottle, you bottle condition, 
if there are any sugars left over and you want a nice bubbly beer, so you put a little more sugar in there, that's when you get things that like to overflow and open them. <laughs> okay. Look like, like what happened to me earlier today. <laughs> yeah. Similar. Similar. It was, okay. a, it was a delayed overflow, though. It was not premature by any means. You had you also gave it a nice twelve months to age, so you know that's that's pretty good. The fact that it was not that it was not immediate, it was it was delayed. Is you know that was a pretty solid bottle conditioned beer. Now you, I've seen you because you had one one of your beers that you had you bought before PT school started or right as PT school started, and you yeah. bottle aged that thing for the entire three years. Yeah. That was that was an expedition stout from Bell's, um, nice. Michi- Michigan represent. Um, <laughs> but that was, you know, that's that's a high alcohol beer that, and it's and it's a dark beer, so it's not going to get a lot of that light struck flavor. Where something, you know, in in either a lighter bottle or just that doesn't have a lot of you know color to it is is a lighter beer. That's going to get that light struck skunky flavor if you if you um, age it for a while but if you find a nice spot to keep it at a consistent temperature uh, a stronger beer like that is going to do fine to age you know over time hmm. some people prefer it you know some people don't like especially when you get something up in like the 12 13 percent that's people think that they call that hot i think is the language that they that they use where it's you know it's boozy coming out and and some people want that to mellow out a little bit so they can taste more of you know, the grains that were used. Mm. Now, I will say the one beer that I think broke that mold, Cal, is Cal and I went to a VPTA, like, meeting down in Charlottesville, right? And because I went to, to school at UVA, we went out and, like, I showed them around a couple different places, went to some bars, grabbed some beers, and we ended up going to uh, a convenience store and getting a local six-pack of something that looked interesting, it was called Licking a Whole Creek, I think was the name of the brewery. And the beer was called Magic Beaver. And it was, I think it would—it just said like pale ale or ale. I think it was a Belgian pale ale. But it didn't list like the IBUs or anything on there. And so we, got, we grabbed that. We grabbed a pizza at Christian's next door. We went back to the boar's head. We're sitting out. Like we had this this room that had like a little kind of porch overlooking like some hills, like, you know, nice, like, Charlottesville kind of hilly area. We're sitting there eating pizza, and we go to crack the beer, and we both tasted it, and it was just, like, the worst beer that <laughs> I've ever had in my entire life. It was, like, almost drinking, like, vinegar. It was, like... I, I hate to be negative, uh, but it was, I mean, it's it's it was down there on my list. It was, it was, so man, so Jake did a nice, you know, he did save one. He, we brought one back with us and it just sat in a fridge for a year and a half. Uh, two years? Two to three years almost. Yeah. Because I brought it up for your bachelor party. Oh my gosh, that's right. I forgot, I forgot where we've tried it again. Yeah. Because we brought it back to Cal's bachelor party. Uh, Cal's bachelor party was in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia. So David and I, uh, I got off from the Redskins on a Friday and didn't have to be there for Saturday. Just had to be there on Sunday. We drove out. We got lost in the middle of West Virginia because there, we had no reception. There were no lights. And the cabin that we were going to was literally on the side of a mountain. And you could only see the sign for the entrance 
on like one direction. So we went, we went all the way up this mountain, all the way down this mountain, and then went, I'm pretty sure we need to go back up the mountain. <laughs> Found it. We pull into this place, and we're like, please, God, be the house. And we just see this one cabin lit up with people, like, running around. And we're like, That's <laughs> And so I think probably within two hours of being there, I opened it and poured it for you. And we drank. We were both, like, very hesitant to drink it because of the associated, like, gag reflex that it had created, like, deep within our, our lizard brain. And... um we drank it and we were like, this is actually like not bad. <laughs> nice. It had time to mellow out. It's perfect. <laughs> it was drinkable. Well, there you go. So if you got a bad beer, the moral of the story is, uh, or down on your list, the moral of the story is just let it sit for a while. <laughs> it may be better. <laughs> it might be better. It might, it might be. <laughs> you you never know. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, very good. Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, we're running up uh, near on the end of the show here. Um, there are uh, a couple of questions and, and some things that we usually ask all of our guests here uh, at the end of the show here. And so, you know, we here at the Movement Docs, we believe in always moving forward and all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge, life, and love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of themselves? I, this is such a great question. I, I love I love hearing the answers for this one. At the, the, you know, it's, it's, I do love, as much as I don't want to run up to the end of the show, I do love running up to the end of the show. Um, so, you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many things that you, you know, that come to mind and not that any of them are profound or right. Um, but, you know, what I would say is that find kind of your core set of values or principles and then shape everything that you do around them um, in order to, you know, again, be the best version of yourself. Um, or more simply put, as the late Chris Cornell said, to be yourself, it's all that you can do. Yeah. Oh, there it was. <laughs> How excited are you for the movie? The movie that's coming out. I know. Oh my gosh! I can't like I I I'm like I feel like I don't want to say anything yet because it's like just they're just starting and like no one is cast and like just Brad Pitt's name is just being thrown around as as a director and a producer and like that's I'm gonna stop talking about it so it's you know, like do that please 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 make that a thing. <laughs> I love it. By the way, your comment just gave me chills, so that was two for, <laughs> two for, two for it's a two for for tonight. So <laughs> thank you for that. But no, yes, I mean that's 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 everything, man. That's that's phenomenal. And, yeah, and it can't, I, it, oh, go ahead, go ahead. It, it really, I, no, I mean that because because there's there's I don't know if there's another way to do it. I don't think there's another way to do it uh, because if if that's not if that's not what you're striving for, then, you know, where's the passion? Where's the joy? And, and that's, you need that, you know? <laughs> you should do. Yeah. Find your passion, find your purpose, make everything work for that. I love it. That's fantastic. Cal, we really can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show tonight. This has been um, just an awesome time to, to get a chance to just 
chat, have some good times, talk about some good brews, talk about some good stories, you know, reminisce on some good memories and, and uh, drop some serious knowledge bombs. So, uh, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, if, if anybody out there is listening and wants to get a, in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Uh, boy, I, I guess my email is the best. I still use my, I still have my Shenandoah email. So that's ctracy14 at su.edu. Um, that's probably, that's the one that's not cluttered, um, with all sorts of either online advertisements and or work emails. Um, so that's probably the best one. Uh, no E in Tracy. That's, we just got to make that distinction there um so that's probably the best spot i'm on facebook that's that's not don't do that i mean if you want to you can um <laughs> say that you heard me on the movement docs podcast and that then i'll be you know i'll be i'll respond don't lead with hey um, you up <laughs> <laughs> so the email is probably the best way um and then afterwards, you know, if you want to have a, you know, either longer conversation or something like that, we can, you know, we can find other ways to, to go about it. Awesome. Oh, we can't thank you enough. Man. Oh, it's, I've got, it's I mean, seriously, thank you guys. It's, it was, it was fun coming on. Um, I appreciate you even thinking I have something worthwhile to say. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was fun to hang out and chat and, you know, this is, this is, it's, it's good to see both of your faces and hear both of your voices. Cal. This one's for you. <laughs> Just Shazam that, everyone. Here. It'll pop up. Don't worry. We will link that song in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That'll work out. <laughs> well, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Cal Tracy, PTDPT. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.